Hi everyone and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is Rachel Pether and I'm a Senior Advisor to Skybridge Capital based in Abu Dhabi, as well as being the MC for SALT, a thought leadership forum and networking platform that encompasses finance, technology and politics. SALT Talks, as many of you know, is a series of digital interviews with some of the world's, the world's foremost investors, creators, and thinkers. And just as we do at our Global SALT conference series, we aim to empower really big, important ideas and provide our audience a window into the mind of subject matter experts. Today, we'll be focusing on innovation and entrepreneurship in the MENA region. And I'm very excited to be joined by Amal Dokan, the CEO of Global Entrepreneurship Saudi Arabia. Amal is one of the early innovation and entrepreneurship educators in the Middle East. She's managed multiple startup and corporate accelerators in Saudi, leading thousands of entrepreneurs to commercialize their ideas and access the market. Amal has studied at both MIT and the University of California, Berkeley, and she is a frequent speaker at conferences around the globe. So Amal, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very pleased to be here today. No, we're really, we're really excited to have you on. And, you know, we've had a, a discussion previously and you have such an interesting background. So maybe you can tell me a bit about your personal story and your upbringing. Sure. I mean, I started obviously not in the place where I am today and not completely connected to it. So I started in the education field, you know, for about 10 years. Um, and maybe starting in the education would give you a lot of skills that nobody would actually think it may relate to entrepreneurship or innovation, you know, at some point at life. But to me, everything is connected. Um, I think after that period of time, you know, I, I moved to study business in 2009 in Dubai. And uh, I think through doing, you know, through doing that master's degree, it started to open something different. And I started the first company and then the second company. Um, and then I, start, I moved actually to seed funding at King Abdullah University of Science and Technology. And I think from there, it was the platform, you know, moving forward to what I do today. But uh, I mean, at the early childhood, um, that's part of something that I said in one of the TED talks. It's uh, um, I was diagnosed, you know, with a thyroid cancer at that age, and living through that, you know, over the years, made me want to do so many stuff, and made me want to achieve so many stuff. And maybe that's where that problem, you know, kind of uh, solutions type of thinking. It's like that. There's always a way out of any. Uh, situation but years passed by and, and today all I do is basically work with startups with entrepreneurs you know in the MENA region and uh, to do programs you know all around you know around VCs and around angel investors and all of that so I know sometimes things don't look really connected but maybe somehow they are no I love those points that you made about everything being connected and also thank you for sharing that that personal story of yours. Now, I know that you did a really interesting course at Stanford on design thinking. So maybe tell me a bit more about that and some of the key learnings, and then we can look at the applications of those sure. and how you've incorporated them now. Sure. So in the early, probably 2013 or 14, I actually joined the course in design thinking. And I think what was interesting about that course is I went there really not expecting anything in particular. It just excited me because my master's was in strategic marketing. And I actually recommended that this is a great course for marketeers. 
So at that time, I just started working at the Entrepreneurship Center. And um, I think what fascinated me is how simple is the idea of focusing on the main reasons of why everything happens and how it could derive solutions that could basically change communities and it could change societies and it could create these solutions that we all look for. And there is really no mystery about it because it's all about the data collection that you get. And I think the methodology of design thinking could change anybody if they understood it the right way, understanding that human behavior is the source of it all. Human behavior gives you the right information that will actually create uh, the solution. It will help you to figure out what they need, what are their pains, what is the source of the reasons, you know, of why they act and behave in a particular way. And it will become your compass of identifying the needs of these people. And it's like, you know, when people receive a solution, it's like, oh my God, that's it. It feels like it was meant for me. You know, they just made it because they realize why I do this. And it's not just a statement. Actually, most of the big companies and the successful startups, they understand the value of understanding, you know, the social part, the behavioral part, the emotional part of why people do it. So that was the initial exposure to the methodology. And what actually shocked me a lot is when I went there and I saw that in the same course, we were 72 people that I've seen companies for like Google, for example, and 3M. Uh, and I was like, these are companies that we look at like idols, you know, they're the source of innovation. And why would they send their people, you know, to get such a course? And my coach was actually from General Electric. So it was interesting to understand. It, it just changed so much that this innovation piece, you know, and design thinking in particular, is something that anybody can use at any place, at any phase of life, and it will change something in the way you actually address problems, in the way you address strategies, in the way you understand designing anything in life, even within a small organization. And it will certainly get you to better results in a shortened and shorter amount of time with much more efficient budget and uh, producing simply very feasible and viable solutions. And I think that's what I brought back with me when I came back to Saudi was not just the methodology, it was just a shift, you know, in the mindset that when I came back, I would remember, you know, I was still jet lagged and I arrived to my team and they said, why did you come to the office? And I said, I just got something amazing, you know, we're going to start working on new programs now, and we're going to turn things around. And I think that's how, you know, things have spurred later on, you know, when we started working in Cows together towards creating different solutions, you know, for the community and for corporates and uh, even for university students as well. well. That's great. And, you know, I completely agree. You don't need to be an official entrepreneur to have this entrepreneurial mindset. And I do want to dive a bit deeper into what the Saudi market looks like now. And, you know, it's grabbed a lot of headlines with the PIF and the SoftBank Vision Fund and some of the other mega funds, but you went back to KAUST in, I believe, like 2013, and it was very progressive back then for, the, for you know, them to be thinking in this way. So what kind of drove, drove that approach, you know, seven years ago before it had really taken off in Saudi Arabia? Well, King Abdullah University is built on science, you know, and research. So it's it's progressive in the way it was built, basically. And it was 
an ultimate dream to change, you know, the norms in everything we do in Saudi Arabia and in the region and to reflect that uh, image about Saudi Arabia and about the efforts that are being done as well. And I think what's interesting about, you know, KAUST is it contained all and it ticked probably all the right boxes at that time because First of all, you've got multiple nationalities that are studying there. So you don't have really um, an overcapacity of a certain country over the other. You've got everyone. You've got the Far East, you've got US, you've got Europe, you know, and all these students in one place, something must happen, you know, with diversity. And, and that's probably one of the major things that we really need when it comes to innovation and, you know, getting these ideas. I think the second point is, um, the fact that these people are trying to change the norms and push the frontiers, you know, in certain matters in research that are progressive again, like in terms of agriculture, in terms of uh, biotechnology, you know, and uh, water solutions, you're talking of solar and clean tech. So I think it's built on innovation by, you know, by nature and by design. And that kind of diversity uh, started to produce a lot of research and a lot of intellectual properties. And maybe at that time in when I came to Kaos, there was an entrepreneurship center, but we had no accelerator at that time. And um, it, was, it was a very good time where I actually came there because there was a lot of talks. It's like, how do we commercialize these ideas? There's great solutions that are being developed in the labs. There is wonderful minds and brains that are working together. How do we bring this to the market? And the solution came, you know, as through finding a mechanism of commercialization and the vehicle was the entrepreneurship center and basically the accelerated programs, which didn't start like that. It started with a program and a course. The ones who came at the beginning, they used to apply for the seed fund department. And I think that's a great thing because they used to provide that seed funding for these companies. This whole thing evolved over time to create the accelerators that formerly actually is working and operating until today. But KAUST has a unique face that it was unique by design. People looked at it as an inspiring beacon. Uh, in the kingdom as a new, you know, way of doing education, uh, co-ed at that time where we didn't have co-ed, you know, in other places as well. And then it's a different way of managing it. And it was in a beautiful space over the sea, like the classrooms would have a view over the shore, you know, of the Red Sea. So, and you're doing research on the Red Sea. So you're doing the marine research, you're actually doing the water desalination. So you've got the sources, you're not really doing something that's not practical, it's pure practicality. And then you've got, you know, Jeddah is the closest city and the other cities where you can experiment. So I think it's just about ticking some of the right boxes that have created this kind of vibrant place that simply inspired people by nature and it became a destination if people came to Saudi, you know, could be politicians, it could be even, you know, scholars, uh, any kind of guests would come and visit, you know, Kaust at that time. So it was, it was by design, something inspiring to people and we just filled the blocks, you know, by the programs, by the things that we've designed later on. And one interesting thing, everyone used to say, how are you gonna let people drive for one hour and a half to come to this university, which is so far away? And then are they gonna travel? But it was interesting, the minute we opened it for the community, people came and they don't wanna leave. 
they started to hang out in the space and that made us actually make a bigger space afterwards where we can have the classrooms and the spaces you know for the startups so everything that's formerly done in other places i think it came organically and then um basically we started to have all these structured programs that um so many have followed later on you know in the rest of the kingdom yeah, I think it's fascinating what you said about cast. I've seen, unfortunately, I've only seen pictures of it, but it really does look like an incredible sort of ecosystem. Maybe firstly, give me an overview of what you currently see in the entrepreneurship market in Saudi and what excites you most, given that you've been working in this space for a number of years now. Right before I come to the, um, actually to the Zoom call, I was at the Ministry of Investment and it was, we've had the best discussion ever because we were just reflecting on, on the future and the things that have happened. And I think in, in simple words, it's one of the best things that are happening in Saudi is how the entrepreneurial scene is evolving in, in a massive way. Um, I think when we look at you know Saudi years and years ago, we used to have the, so many traditional businesses, the family businesses and all of these stuff, but we haven't seen a lot of tendencies, you know, from the youth to look into starting a company and not go to a certain job, for example, or all of that. Today, it's becoming the talk of the town. Like everybody is considering an entrepreneurial route or an entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial exit from their job, for example. So it's becoming very normal that you see somebody who's working on a particular job and then on the side they're building a company so they're just waiting for that company to reach a stage where they can do that jump and and that we haven't seen from executives before we haven't seen uh that in people that work in the government for example but but it's 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 happening now and the reason for this is that Saudi is becoming like a heart of transformation, like that machine that's transforming and evolving in a speedy manner. And that only happened because of the support of the government to make this a reality. When the vision started in 2016, it kicked you know, that new dream of 2030 where people got inspired by the idea itself. And then it took years for people to understand. And in the past two years, started to witness that huge jump and it actually materializes in results because you see it in the number of startups that are you know entering the market the number of startups that are receiving investments the number of venture capital funds that are uh, emerging and not just saudi venture capitals actually the foreign vcs that are coming to saudi arabia and they're establishing their headquarters here so we've seen a Chinese fund, we've seen, you know, other, you know, US based and, and all of these are coming and looking at establishing uh, whether and regional HQ or basically, uh, you know, a branch in Saudi Arabia. Why this is happening again? It's yes, we've mentioned the government, but at the same time, we've actually witnessed that transformation in the mindset of addressing a startup as a proper career path becoming more acceptable by families, it's becoming more acceptable by, you know, people that uh, maybe never looked at it. And I mentioned the story before, I said, when we used to go uh, in public places, people would talk about maybe different topics that are, you know, social topics today, 
everywhere just turned into, it looks like a startup co-working space, even in the malls, even in the coffee shops, in the restaurants, everyone just moves around and, and you hear, you know, and due to the nature of customer discovery, we've got used to listening, you know, listening to the voice of the youth, listening to the voice of like people that are looking into starting businesses. And you just see excitement and hope, and there is good role models that started to materialize today. But there is also more to be done. And we understand that we're still at the beginning of building that ecosystem. It took uh, years for us to establish the right programs, to establish you know, that change in the mindset, to include entrepreneurship as a course in the universities, for example, to have it in some of the schools. And that's already happening. We think that this is going to pick up and change, you know, over time. But currently, we can say it's in a uh, healthy situation where it's also attracting uh, startups from outside Saudi to come and set up in Saudi. And uh, there is a lot of incentives uh, programs that are created for both investors and entrepreneurs to come and set up in Saudi. So there is a lot of tax waivers, there's a lot of uh, incentives of like for visas and easy licensing and reduce, you know, uh, fees, all of these stuff and programs that receives these people, plus the Ministry of Investment is also looking ahead and, and have more to be released in the next FII, which is the future investment forum that's going to happen, um, hopefully when everything is fine, you know, by next January here in Riyadh. Yeah, in, inshallah. And I think it's obviously great to have that government support. And one thing that I've noticed here in the UAE is that all it really took was a couple of quite successful exits. And, you know, we had uh, Uber and Kareem and Amazon and Souk. And I think that also helped shift the mindset of people to, you know, oh, this could be a really successful business. So have you seen that, you know, people, as you say, they're becoming more accepting of this as a, a proper job, um, as it were, and actually wanting to do this as a, as a career. It's happening a lot. And when you talk about exits, I mean, there's, there's a couple of companies that have been acquired. There's a, a couple of like uh, mergers that happen. There is a couple of exits through uh, uh, the capital markets, which is another piece of the ecosystem as well, which is you know, easing the process for companies to apply and to exist either in the parallel market or in preparation, you know, to be listed as well. So there is, I think what we're looking at is that kind of a journey that starts by the change of the mindsets at the beginning, and that's through awareness programs, which Munshaat, the small and medium enterprise authority is playing a huge role with the events, the programs, the connectivity, the hubs that are uh, scattered around the kingdom, just to create that kind of inspiration. And people can go and talk to anybody if they have an idea. So these are like the jobs of the hubs that are uh, existent in Saudi and then, Later on, it's just we need more programs. And we know we have accelerator programs, but we need more. So at least if I took that career choice, I know if I cannot do it on my own, there is someone who can support me. There is a group that I can join. There is a network that I can be part of. And sometimes you need the six months or the three months journey of an accelerator. And sometimes you don't. You're just able to pick it up yourself. You have the right people around you. You can build the right team and carry on with it. But the only thing that you 
can never, you know, let go of is just the right network. Because at the end of the day, you will need to access market, you will need to lobby for your idea, you will need to make sure that you're being visible in the right way. So investors can take notice of you uh, as well. And moving after that is just the creation of the venture funds that we have witnessed kind of, uh, and, and I don't think it's precedented, you know, in that short time, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really uh, very impressive to see that. But that created another push that we still need to work on uh, increasing the number of startups, whether from Saudi or outside Saudi Arabia. Because now the, the amount of invest, the investment money or venture capital money uh, still, you know, needs more in the pipeline. Uh, so we can witness more investments and hopefully more exits, you know, in the near future. Um, part of that is, you know, recently, like two weeks ago, almost a week ago, we were looking into what are the pieces that are needed at that early stage. So we obviously need more accelerators. Maybe we need grants for MVPs for minimal viable products at the pre-seed stage which is one of the most crucial ones that could stop a startup from continuing if I'm not able or I cannot really build you know, that product to the beginning. So we started to look at the angel investing scene. And although that existed, we've got one of the oldest angel groups here, seven years old, Ocal, and we still need more. There's a lot of members in it and they're doing their job into looking and screening and doing the diligence and then you know, presenting these companies to uh, basically to the community and the members. But I believe we need more of these angels that look into a different diversified uh, approach into the type of startups that they look at and would love to see people that could invest in a pitch deck maybe because they know that these people are willing to do it. And we always say that angel investing is about, you know, believing in the people, believing that they can actually bring it to the market, that no matter what happens throughout that journey, they're going to pivot and change. And it's, that's the essence, you know, of angel investing. And I, I did an interview with Brad Feld, and he said, it's all about empathy. Well, you got to empathize, you got you, you to feel what they're going through. And then you know, is it a need of a network? Is it a need of an introduction? Is it a need of like injecting more cash here and there? So it becomes not like, you know, the VC relationship to the startup, which is more on a board level, more structured and all of that. It's a very friendly slash, you know, mentorship sort of like relationship. We want more of that. And, and that's why we're doing a lot of activities to train angel investors to network, you know, angels with entrepreneurs and to also tell a lot that this could be a choice, even if you haven't done it, you can do it with someone else, you can try to be part of that network and see if this is something exciting. But to get more, we need to create more success stories, obviously, and exits to show that people have gotten something out of it, you know, but but there is, you know, a lot that's happening also in that scene in particular, because we know that this is how most of the ecosystems were supported at the early stage level. Like even most of the research-based uh, companies uh, that were pure scientific, maybe hard to commercialize, uh, were actually funded by people that were fans of that you know, type of research or they cared about the cause. So we're trying to ignite that and connect it and convey it to the startups and hopefully they can both speak uh, the same language, and that connectivity becomes easier to be done. So there's a lot of plans that we're actually working on in the coming two months to also incentivize that part.
Fabulous. And we've had a number of audience questions coming in already about the entrepreneurship system and also on mentorship. But I would just like to ask a question on the mega funds that you talk about. I listened to a really interesting podcast a couple of weeks ago now, and it was talking about the, the risk and the downside of mega VC funds, you know, taking WeWork um, as just one example of kind of too much capital going into yeah. one company. Do you see that as a risk given the sort of stage of the evolution currently in the Saudi market or are they allocating fewer, you know, smaller amounts of capital into, into more companies? Yeah, so most of what we see today is in the pre-seed and the seed stage because this is like an emerging market, right? So most of it is in the early stage and, and the average size ticket of a fund is about $5 million. So we're not really hitting, you know, hard within the number of or the size of investment yet. We don't see uh, that much of like the companies requiring that amount of capital yet, you know, uh, in, in Saudi. But we do expect that this is going to change in the coming few years as we start to witness more growth stage. We do have growth stage companies that obviously require more injections of cash, but they're not as many as the seed stage ones. So if you look at the total amount of like investments that have been done so far, it's according to the Venture Capital Association that tracks most of these activities, it's about $67 million for most of the, these companies. So it's mostly not very big tickets. And I think that's the right approach uh, actually to do it at this stage. And especially that um, most of these companies are really, really early stage, you know, now. Now, could we reach that problem of the WeWork and what happened, you know? I think we still need, you know, a uh, couple of years, you know, to start saying that this could be a problem. At the moment, our focus is just to increase that number of startups. So hopefully we can see more exits at this stage, although we do have a big number of companies at the early stage. But their survival rate, as we know globally, is not always high. So I still need to increase, you know, that number so we can have the ones that survive the Series A and the Series B and C stage, uh, which we started to see a bit of, but it's not uh, very common yet uh, over here. So the majority is just early stage at the moment. Yeah, and I think when you mentioned, you know, the, the mega funds of $1 billion, if you're looking at $5 million ticket sizes, that's know 200 startups that you you can make investments in so it's important to have that strong pipeline yeah, as well and at the moment, yeah and at the moment actually if you look at the sizes of uh, or the investments 92 uh, percent of all the investments that are being done now in the Saudi market are actually early stage so we're still really we still need some time for these companies you know two to three years to start seeing them in the growth stage and then the ticket size is going to you know, grow a little bit bigger, and even the venture uh, capitals maybe start. So the majority of VCs now are, are all seed stage, right? Very few do invest in the growth because there isn't enough uh, of that pipeline. So that's where the work that we need to do. So maybe these VCs later on will structure other, you know, uh, funds so they can invest in the growth stage that they can start targeting. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think in some of these answers, you've You've touched on some of the questions that I want to get to, but um, we've had an audience question saying, do you see the local capital sources and maybe ex-government trying to replicate what's been accomplished in Silicon Valley 
over the last few decades and more recently China as providing risk capital themselves. So is that capital coming from local startups or local VCs and international? Or what's that kind of mix like there? All right, so uh, there is one of the uh, entities that the government have created and spend off uh, the small and medium enterprises called the Saudi Venture Capital uh, Company. So SVC is basically uh, an incentives fund. It's a co-matching vehicle. So what they do, they incentivize venture capitals to set up, you know, or to start, uh, you know, their funds in Saudi, and they do help them uh, in the co-match or even in, you know, closing the ticket that they're looking for. Now, why are they doing that? Yes, because we do uh, need that to minimize the risk somehow over these funds to incentivize them to be present, to do their work, to reach out to the entrepreneurs. Uh, and all of that. So this has played a huge role in the increasing number of uh, the venture capital funds that have been created in the past two years because SVC was created two years ago. So we've seen a number of those and there's reports about how many of these uh, funds have been created. And uh, on the other hand, of course, we see the other funds of funds. So you have the JADA that funds the venture capital funds, you know, that comes from outside Saudi Arabia mostly. So like their investment in 500 and um, MSA and many other uh, of those. So there is some of these funds that are uh, supporting, you know, everyone trying to minimize the risk of it. But the majority of the investments that we're talking about are coming from, you know, venture capitals, just private VCs. Uh, that, and this is the right way to do it, honestly. And these VCs have got the support, you know, from the government, but at the end of the day, they're investing and, and the government money is like an LP money at the end of the day. So they become just a limited partner. Uh, so it does not really um, instruct the startups that they invest in, they don't really interfere in the process. They only advise and help if needed. So um, this is how they're trying to minimize the risk, which supported a lot of the venture capitals that have been created in the kingdom recently. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, and I think that co-investment model is becoming much more popular in the in the region as yeah. well. So we have time for a few more questions. I'm going to ask you a general question, a political question and an advice question. So I'll start with the general <laughs> question first. We had a, uh, an audience, another audience question from Ken, thank you, who's asked, how can entrepreneurship in Saudi and the broader MENA region be increased by 10 times, let's say even 100 times? And I know you've touched on some of these things already, yeah. but maybe sort of summarize those points. I like that question because that's what I sleep dreaming of. That's what I wake up trying to do, you know, it's just figuring out every possible way of how do we increase that. There's still yet more to be done, you know, ecosystem building is not just about, you know, creations of funds and creation of accelerators. So there is more. In order to have these accelerators filled, we still need to work a lot on, you know, the early stage education, right? I'm a believer in the education system. I'm a believer that this is a process that can be touched upon earlier at, you know, uh, the growing stage of every human being, you know, to be exposed to the possibilities, to the problem solving mindset, to the entrepreneurial mindset. And that's going to create that generation that comes 
all about problem solving, all about creating these you know, solutions towards companies that become successful, impactful changes, the lives of the communities. So that's one way to look at it now. How do we have the hundreds and the thousands and all of that? It's uh, basically we need to uh, triple and uh, do 100 times of what we do and increase the agents that uh, incentivize these university students that shows a different way. We need to do a better job in the media and publicity of the little stories that happens. Um, I think there is yet there's some it started in Saudi, but there is more to be done, you know, we get all impacted by what we see. You know, if we see that, you know, the idols of the corporates and the government positions, you know, as we grow up, that's what we see and what's that's what we want to be. And then sometimes we grow up on the startups that we started to see now in Saudi and the companies and, and people with mission and Nothing is more beautiful than someone who believes in a certain or she believes in a certain uh, solution and they, then they lobby for it. So I think there is a piece of education, piece of like enhancing ecosystems, increasing numbers of VCs and mentors and all of that. And, and if we all come together, uh, we're definitely going to see it. And by the way, month over month, we're increasing. If we want to, you know, turn the ecosystem into a startup, I think we're going to have a very good, uh, you know, uh, GMV uh, in, uh, in Saudi for the number of startups increasing over, you know, over the months. It sounds like really all we need, need to do is clone you like a thousand times and, and then we'll be, then we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, you, <laughs> One point on the education, you actually recommended a TED talk to me, which was fabulous. It was Ken Robinson on Do Schools Kill yeah. Creativity. And he said, you know, all these kids have tremendous talents. I think he said, all kids have tremendous talents and we squander them ruthlessly. So knowing what you know now, having been out in the market, how would you have how would you teach kids differently? So, you know, I started as an educator. And I think I was, I was a rebel in the way I was teaching, you know, the kids and, uh, and all of that. I, I probably wanted to, like I reflected on how I actually got my education. I was one of those people who wanted to study and get straight A's and like, no matter what, at any cost, you know, I've got to do this, right? And reflecting back, I, I don't have regrets, obviously. I caught up late on what I wanted to do, but I do believe in the power of a young mind, you know, and Sirkin Robinson's statement is amazing in a way because he reflects on that research that says that the human mind, you know, by the age of four starts to become more smart and sensitive towards social signals. So I start to feel who's upset. I start to be a pleaser. I start to be depending on the society and the community that I actually grew up with, or I become a person that basically looks at what's right and I want to do it or what I believe in doing and, and that becomes my thing. So how do we do it differently? I think we started, you know, we have something called the entrepreneurial university in Saudi where universities are competing, you know, to see who's going to bring the entrepreneurship education in a different way, who's going to incentivize students to go through the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, during the Global Entrepreneurship Week was nothing but talking to universities and students and hearing, you know, what they're saying, answering their questions, directing them to different places. So the different way and the different approach is like less structured uh, approach, 
and more of like the free thinking of understanding and analyzing the personalities of you know the young people and see where they can shine it's all right if i am super great you know at mathematics because obviously one day i'm going to be you know creating wonderful uh you know deep learning and ai solutions you know with my talent i think if we understand these transitions and what are we building what is the value of building these skills of turning the theory into practice at an early stage and showing them what is that going to mean you know in the real life and making them do it at an early stage that's going to change so much you know at, we're not going to struggle at universities to teach innovation and entrepreneurship at that stage it's going to be just being bombarded with the amount of people that are change makers and those models are going to change others and here we need to reflect on the educators themselves so they can believe and enable because the change the whole education model will change and you know through covid the whole who would have anticipated that students will sit behind a screen and the teacher will be teaching over distance and if that was said to them before that no one would have believed that this is possible but when people are faced with change they find solutions and they cope so we need to make them cope earlier with the possibilities that might come and face you know face them in their life but definitely less structure that more chaos is needed to allow that innovation, you know, and creativity to spur and to teach them failure. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer that it's all right to fail and it's all right to encourage experimentation and it's all right to actually accept it. And we don't say don't get upset. You can get upset a little bit, but understand why it happened and let's get over it. So it doesn't become a showstopper for us. So bit of skills, bit of thinking, Obviously, design thinking has to be part of this whole process so they can, you know, create these simple solutions. And I was part of many experiments in schools, by the way. So I've seen the results at different ages as well. No, that's fantastic advice. And that actually needs, leads quite nicely into a, a comment that's come through about mentorship. So I'll quickly read that out and then um, a question yeah. off the back of that. Oh. Stephen said, I've been blessed to have a fantastic mentor. The University of Colorado in Boulder has a long and positive relationship with students from Saudi Arabia. I hope we can have a bright future with Saudi Arabia. Thank you for a fantastic conversation. So thank you for uh, that comment. And then a follow-on question from that, and I'm sorry to get political, but it's the only political question. What can <laughs> the new administration of President Joe Biden be doing to improve relations with the noble people of Saudi Arabia? So, you know, you're getting political, but I'm not very political. See, that's that's the thing, you know, I'm, I'm not into uh, politics, honestly, but all I say that, you know, our relationship with US is, is a very, very old, you know, relationship that I believe will continue in the best way possible that serves both, right, the, so both US and Saudi Arabia. And I think we've got a lot of ties that, you know, puts us together in many uh, situations and maybe the part that I look at is the economic part mainly because uh, we see a lot of uh, initiatives and a lot of companies that are working hand in hand you know with US and with Saudi Arabia as well so with my entrepreneurial mind I can only hope for the best you know and for a much more prosperous you know relationship to be flourished and as he mentioned there's a lot of you know, Stefan here mentioned that, that there's a lot of ties with Saudi, a lot of Saudis live in US. Uh, Her Royal Highness Princess Rima, you know, our ambassador who's actually there and is 
always building, you know, and supporting in uh, building a very successful and healthy relationship, you know, between the two countries. And it comes in so many cultural programs and so many economical ties. So I'm an optimist and uh, I do see, you know, uh, a lot of good that should come in the coming period. And our relationship with the people will also prosper. I love that statement on Boulder, Colorado, because every time I talk with Brad, he talks about the Boulder experience that I always like to learn from. So it's it's great that this is you know happening. And maybe Stefan, we catch up later and, and we see if we can connect you with more Saudis and more entrepreneurs as well. I'm sure he'd love that. And thank you so much for that, that offer, Mal. And You've answered so many difficult questions today, so I'd like to end on a nice, easy one. What would be your advice for a fresh graduate going out into the, dare I say it, the real world? Don't deny yourself trying anything new and anything exciting, you know? Life will go by and one day you'll look back and you're gonna appreciate, you know, all the goods and the bads and what you thought it was really hard experiences actually create us as human beings. We always look back and remember these things that shapes our mind and it shapes our heart, it shapes who we are. And the richer we are in terms of experiences, the more likely that we're going to become, you know, more entrepreneurial and more courageous in taking new steps in life. Just focus on empathy. It's a change maker. Understand where the other comes from and empathize with yourself as well. And um, we'll want to stay away from any, uh, you know, uh, judgments or any type of thing because it actually uh, shadows, you know, the way we think. And we're by nature humans. We get impacted by what people say, by what's around us and all of that. But, but then we need to have our own internal alert that tells us this is how we should think about it. Let's go back and reset and look into it. So lots of empathy lots of experimentations don't be afraid of failing no one will remember that later on when years passes by just get up you know right away shake it off learn from it and just be better and never stop learning we don't stop learning by finishing college learning is something beautiful that keeps us alive it's gonna make you young the whole time because you're always learning something new. So, um, so I think those are like a bunch of things that I believe I try to remind myself with it. And I think it helps anyone who's in a university to just look into life with less fear, more you know, courage to trying new things. And if it didn't work out, that's absolutely okay. You can always you know, flourish somewhere else. But yeah, keep learning, obviously. They are... Uh, they are fabulous pieces of life advice. There's no way I can add anything to that. So I just want to say, Mal, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your insights and, and wisdom and, and empathy. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's been a pleasure and I'm really honored. And thank you so much for everyone who attended and asked us questions as well. And I think there's, there's a lot of uh, beautiful things coming in Saudi Arabia. So stay tuned more announcements are going to happen in the coming few months especially when it comes to innovation and entrepreneurship and uh, attracting a lot of startups you know and vcs as well to the region so uh pleased to be here i'm very humbled to actually have been here today at salt so thank you rachel i appreciate it thanks so much thanks so much mal it's always great to end on a really positive note